0: Hello Nexus Church family to our series that we've titled Winning the War in Your Mind. This is based off of the Craig Rochelle book that's titled The Same Thing. And in this series I encourage you to pick up a copy of that book and dig into it for yourself and examine some of these things that we are discussing in our time together. In this series we're going to be taking a look at exactly where is the battlefield in this world. You see, we talk about spiritual health, we talk about physical health, we talk about relational and financial health in the church world, but so often we miss out on the power of the mental health, the emotional health. And many people don't like to talk about it because it reveals some things that are deep inside of them or people they know and love. That they would just as soon not talk about. But we're going to be tackling that. And the beautiful thing is the Bible is full of truths that can help you, as Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is what the Word of God does. And I hope that through this series, you will be renewed by the power of God's truth and see yourself become whole Not just in one aspect in your life, but in all aspects of your life. Now if you have more questions or concerns or comments, you can email us at nexuschurchmn at gmail.com, nexuschurchmn at gmail.com, or you can private message us in Facebook or Instagram. However, we can connect with you and help you become renewed in your mind. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, online to another week in our series, Winning the War in Your Mind. Now, over the course of this series, we've been really digging into how can we defeat the attacks on our mind. How, how are we capable of taking those strong thoughts that, that really take us in directions we don't want to go and we so easily slide into for whatever reason, and we're going to win that battle. We are going to gain the ability to get control of our minds. I, I love how Apostle Paul keeps putting it that we keep quoting from 2 Corinthians 10 5, where we demolish the arguments, we demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Right? We're coming against those lies that slide in and so so often we don't even realize it. It comes from just off comments that somebody says or, or things that we hear in the radio or news or on our social media, like wherever we're getting our sources of information, there are constantly things that are telling us how to think, how to believe, or what we should do. So it's so easy that we get caught up in those lies and we forget that that's not the truth, that that's not God's best for us. And so Paul says that we're going to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And that's what we're doing. We're doing that in the course of these five weeks that we're together. Now this week, we're going to be really honing in on negative thoughts. We're going to figure out how we can get control of these things that seem to consume us, that that just are around us at all times. Now, maybe some of you today, you, you don't struggle so much with negative thoughts, and, and maybe this might not seem like it's for you, but I want you to just listen with empathetic ears because the cultural norm today, and if, you, if you don't recognize this, it's just listen to the news for a couple of minutes, and everybody is negative about the opposing side. Whatever argument it might be, it is full of negativity. It's not trying to tell you how good our side is. It's trying to tell you how good our side is by belittling everybody else. And so maybe you don't struggle with negative thoughts, but there's so many people who do. And I want to add some... And some tools to your toolbox and how you can help those who do struggle because so many people do. But for many of us, including myself, we need these tools that we're going to talk about today. And so let me just begin by reading a passage from Paul where he was put in a difficult situation where he could have responded with absolute negativity but he chose instead to do what we're calling reframing. So, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Small little passage. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for. Christ, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, it seems as if Paul is rejoicing over a difficult situation. So he's writing to the Philippians at this point in prison. We get this in Acts chapter 28, verse 16, the very last chapter of the book of Acts, Paul is sent to Rome. Now, if you've read the book of Acts, you know that, that Paul was called to go to Rome and to proclaim the gospel to people who had never heard before. He was dead set on it, so much so that when he was in Jerusalem, he went there knowing that that would give him the ticket to go to Rome. And so when he was put on trial... At Jerusalem, he appealed to Caesar so that he could go to Rome. The only downside was, is this would mean that he would be put in house arrest, right? So here, here we have a man who felt a call by God to go proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to set us free from our sin and to live for all of eternity in heaven with him. He had this call to proclaim that to Rome, but it didn't happen the way he thought it would. He ended up in prison. See, verse 16 of Acts 28, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After all the miracles, after everything Paul had been through, it's such a powerful life up until this point, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and people everywhere coming to faith. He's planted all these churches, influenced all these people, raised up people underneath him to continue on to be a pastor in these places where he planted churches. And then he gets called to go to Rome and he ends up staying in prison. After all that he had experienced, he ended up in prison. Now, for many, if you or I ended up into this kind of situation, our response would have been probably something like, as a result of all that I've done for the gospel, for the church, for Jesus, whatever, I'm going through this? This is my reward for being faithful and obedient to Jesus? That's it. I've had enough. I am leaving the church. I am leaving Christianity. I'm just, I'm done with Jesus. Like, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, to be locked up in prison, to have my family taken away from me, I'm done. I've had enough. But yet, we read the final verses of the book of Acts that Paul stayed two whole years in his own Rented house. So not only was he under house arrest, but he had to rent his own house. Like most people, when they're put in jail, you have your room and board taken care of for you, right? You know, Paul had to rent his own place, provide for himself, but yet still was under the eye of the jail warden. He was a prisoner. He welcomed any who would visit him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And then, as he's writing in prison to the Philippians, he proclaims that his hardship, his being put in jail, being watched by the the prison wardens, that what he went through advanced the gospel and it caused others to proclaim the gospel without fear. It it encouraged others, it built others up, it gave them the courage to fight for Jesus in a very polarized environment, in a place that absolutely despised those who were from the way, as they called it at that point. Right? Paul did something extremely unique. Nowadays, We would call it reframing. It's a term that means to create a different way of interpreting a situation by changing the meaning. He reframed his situation. He looked at it through different eyes. For most people, they would have viewed it as, I'm locked in prison. I can't do anything. I can't go out to the streets and reach the people who I was called to reach that I believe God had me here for. No, Paul viewed it as a, this is an opportunity to be where God wants me to be. And no matter if I can go out or if I have to be locked into this prison cell that I have to rent, I am going to stay faithful to Jesus. He refrained. A beautiful example of this, It's found in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. In this passage, they had just left Egypt. They left the slavery, right, that, that they had been in for hundreds of years. God miraculously brought them out of this slavery, this horrible situation, and he was about to take them into the promised land. And so Moses was told by God to look out and just take a, take a little gander of the promised land. Send out 12 spies, one each from, from each family household, right? A tribe. The 12 tribes of Israel. Send out 12 leaders and just go check out the land. Take a look at the beautiful things that I've prepared for you that I'm going to give you. This land is yours. And in Numbers 13, verse 25. Listen to their report when they came back. Right? Again, just remember that God promised them this land. And up until this point, God had done so many miracles to free them out of Egypt. It was insurmountable, the odds for them to get out of Egypt. And now here they were, about to enter in the promised land. At the end of 40 days, verse 25, they returned from scouting out the land. The men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community. Then he showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. And here's some of its fruit, right? Just like God promised, it is magnificent it is it is hawaii right it is so beautiful and so vast and so big like there's no way we're going to totally run out of space like this is amazing moses it is so amazing however the people living in the land are strong and the cities are large and fortified they have huge walls we also saw the descendants of Anak there The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. When we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim, to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers. We must have seen the same to them. Twelve spies. Now we don't hear of Joshua in this account, but Joshua came back with Caleb and gave the same account. We must go. We must conquer. Two totally different reports. One saw the problem and cowered under it. Went running back with their tails between their legs and said, we can't do it. They saw reality. But they forgot the promise of God. Joshua and Caleb, they saw the same thing. They saw the reality. They saw what was about to happen to them. But they came back with the promise of God. And they reframed that reality into the scope of what God promised. We do this all the time in our own lives. That may seem like a a weird story that we can't relate to, but we do this all the time, right? It's Monday morning. You wake up, and immediately you're, you're, you're flooded with the reminder that it's finals week or that the big project is due tomorrow. Or maybe you have to work with that one individual. That absolutely drives you insane, and now you're having to do this big project with them and you know, don't know how long it's going to take for you to complete it. right? One, one view is, like the 10 who came back with a bad report, uh, I, it's going to be a sucky week. I can't believe that I have to work with this person. I don't know how I'm going to study enough for this test or these tests. I don't have what it takes to finish this project. This is going to be a horrible week. I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to do the best I can and probably fail. Right? It's not going to be all done. It's going to be sitting for me for the next week. It's just, it's just going to be forever. I'm, I don't even know why I go to work, but this is how I provide for my family. So i got to do what i got to do, right? That's seeing reality for what it is. But living in the negative perspective that you can't change it. Can't do anything about it. Another view is still seeing reality. Joshua and Caleb just didn't throw out reality and forget about it. Run in their full board and be idiots, right? Like they, they, they saw reality no different than the other ten. They came back with a reminder of what God promised. God has promised that you're the head, you're not the tail. That you are priests of the most high God. That he cares for you. That he provides for you. Right? All these promises that we've been talking about in this, in this series. We may see reality. But we need to reframe it and remember who we are. And focus on what God wants to do. And what he promises. All right? You can still have the same reality. It's finals week. It's big project week. I'm having to work with somebody I don't like. I have to go to a situation that doesn't look good. I don't know how long this is going to take. This is going to be hard. You can still have that same reality, but you can frame it with, God, you're with me. God, you've promised that you would empower me and give me what I need to get through this. There is nothing that I will go through that you're not there with me. It's a promise that God has made he is with you you're not alone you will get through you got this you see it's so important to understand if this is the only thing that you get out of this today get this you can't control what happens to you or around you but you control how you frame it what how you view it and so today in just the last few moments that we have, I want to go through three tools that I believe can really help you. I, I know it's been helping me because I've been spending this week really processing a few of these for myself because I struggle with negativity. I, I, I always tend to view myself as a realist. But the problem with being a realist is that so often you let the reality dictate how you think about it. It's so easy to get caught up in the the mentality that this is hard, that this is not what I intended, right? Paul, like, I know that this is not God's best for me. And you find yourself in that situation. Paul found himself in that situation. But what happens so often for me, anyway, is that I get caught up in the reality of that difficult situation, that I forget the promises of God. I forget that I don't have to stay in this place. And so let's talk about these three tools because I want you to find freedom from negativity. I want myself to find freedom. And I know if it can help me, it can help you too. And so the very first one is to thank God for what hasn't happened or thank God for what has happened. Think about this. Over the last few years, Goodness gracious, there's a lot of things that have went on, right? So many things have come that we didn't anticipate. Just like Paul. He knew he was called to Rome. But it didn't get there the way he thought he would. We've been through a lot over the last few years with COVID and racial unrest and political unrest, like there's been so many things that we have experienced that we didn't anticipate. And as I've thought over and over the last few years about how things have happened and how I didn't respond well or things just didn't end the way I thought they should, I get stuck in this, it should have been better, it could have been better, why didn't I do this, why didn't I do that? And so often, you feel like a failure, and I failed here, I failed there. Everywhere, it was a fail, fail, right? The whole Pastor Luke had a church, and yeah, yeah, oh, it failed. Oh, so. But then, as I was thinking about this thought, and rethinking, reframing the past three years, it dawned on me that there was a lot of things that did happen that were good. And as I processed that, though they may seem insignificant to the things that didn't go well, when I was honest, the things that did go well, the people who were touched, the fact that we remained and didn't give up throughout all the troubles and and dissensions and struggles, we stuck it out. And there was good to be thankful for. And so as you think over the past year or years, can you dwell on what went well, what God did? Be thankful that you're still here. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for the reality that God is still here. He is still with us. He isn't done yet. And though it may seem like there's little to be done, Thankful for. Focus on the little that you have. Be appreciative for all that God has done. Because when you can start getting into the mentality of thinking about the positive, thinking about what God has done, that fuels you, that encourages you, that that makes you think, if God did that, if he helped me there, if he remained faithful in all of this, if he is still doing things, even though it seems so dead, if he's still moving he will still continue to move it fuels you it fuels you to get up the next day which is the third or second tool that we're adding to our toolbox and that is to simply pre-frame your day practice pre-framing every day now what does that mean right okay so we've Looked at the past. We've remembered what God has done or what didn't happen that he didn't allow to happen. We've started that process of thinking about what's good, what he has done. Now, let's set your day by how you think. Because here's the reality. So many of us decide how the day is going to be before we ever even step foot out of the house. Right? Going back to that situation, you wake up Monday morning And you already know what's happening that week or the next couple hours at least. And you know it's going to be a struggle. Right? We all have the decision to make. To view the day coming up a certain way. To view a situation that's coming up a certain way. We all have it. We have family vacations or reunions. We have holiday get-togethers, and before we even step foot into that holiday or vacation, we already know how it's going to go. And so we decide inside how we should expect to have it play out. Now we do this for seemingly good reason, right? If I know something's going to be tough, I practice this, this thought process of the worst case scenario because I wanna be prepared, right? That's the narrative that goes on in our head is, I wanna be prepared for what could potentially happen. And so we pre-frame our horrible outcome before we even step foot into it. And we wonder why things don't turn out the way they should because we've already determined that this could be how it happens and we're prepared for it. When in reality, we could say, this is what's coming. This can happen. This is reality. But I'm going to believe that God is going to do something different. I believe he's going to perform a miracle. He's going to provide an answer that is not yet there. Even though I am really struggling in this area of, say, math, I'm trusting that it's going to click, and he's going to help me. Now, maybe I might fail that test, But I'm believing today that it's going to start working, that I can understand these things. I might have a learning disability. I might not be able to pick things up like other people. But that doesn't mean that I can't figure this out, that God can't come inside of my brain and help the wires connect properly so this makes sense. God can do that. That's why we spent last week talking about God healing. God can do all that stuff. We need to believe that. And we need to start practicing it and pre-framing our day that way, expecting God to move. If we don't expect God to move and we set ourselves up for a bad day in the worst-case scenario so that we can be prepared for it just in case, we're going to go down that trail. But if we plan for God moving, God making a difference, we will go down that path as well. We'll be thinking that way. We'll have our attitude going that way. We'll have our expectation going that way. Not that we don't realize the situation, but we are expecting. We're going down the path of health. This is going to take such incredible intentionality to go down that path. It doesn't happen because we just naturally are gifted at some people. Maybe they are but I can guarantee you it takes extreme intentionality where I am thinking this through of pre-framing my day, saying I know inside of my head that I'm going to come up with a worst-case scenario and, and expect this, but i got to stop that. i got to expect God to help me. And even if he doesn't, let me tell you this much. I don't care how much you pre-frame that worst-case scenario, you won't be any more prepared than if I prepare for success and belief that God is going to do an incredible thing. You'll be no better off if you live your life in negativity and worst-case scenario. You can never be prepared for worst-case scenarios. Mentally, you're going to live in a life of negativity in a world of incredible letdown. We don't want to live that way. I know you don't want to live that way. I don't want to live that way. And so we need to practice pre-framing, thinking about how God wants to enter into this and what God would want us to experience. It won't always be perfect, no. We live in a broken world. Worst case scenarios do happen. But I want to live with the expectation that God, even if the worst case scenario happens, God can work things out for good. He did it for Paul. And man, Paul had such a powerful ministry. If Paul would have went into Rome with the worst-case scenario, we wouldn't have any of Philippians. One of the most powerful letters in all of the New Testament. Such a powerful, encouraging book. So we practice pre-framing. We practice thinking back and remembering, being thankful for what God has done or hasn't allowed to happen being thankful, we're practicing expectation of what God can do. And then lastly, just look for God's goodness. Start really looking. I know this is something that it is unfortunately something I really struggle with. I, I always see the negative because I always want things to get better. I have that, just that, that natural bent towards making things better. That's just that's how I function in the world. I see all the things that could get better, and I figure out how can we make it better. That's just how I am. But it is such a negative place to be because you're always seeing the negative. You're always seeing how things aren't the way they should. And it just takes you to places that you don't want to be. So start looking for Good. Where is God moving? How is God moving? Stop looking at all the things that need to be fixed and just say, man, look at that. God is doing that and God is doing that. And yeah, it's not happening in my life. It's happening to somebody else or at another church or or, I don't know, in another country. But God is moving. He's not done. And maybe, maybe he'll do it here. Let's start seeing the good. Because everywhere... You want to look. There is bad screaming at you, asking for your attention, making you try to fall into that bandwagon of seeing the negative. It's everywhere. Friends, if you want to look for the good that's around you, you will find it. If you want to see the bad around you, you will find it but it's going to take a little bit more work to find the good than it is the bad. You know what are vultures known for? (laughs) They're known for finding dead things. Right? They find them. But hummingbirds, they're known for seeking out sweet things. And they find them. So today, the choice is yours to be a vulture, to be a hummingbird. What are you going to be looking for? Friends, it is in your hands. This message will fall flat if you don't be intentional. Be thankful for what has happened. Focus on all the good that God has done. Look for good things in the world around you and wake up every day expecting God to move, looking for for the avenues of how God wants to change the environment around you. Because remember, Jesus is still on the throne. He is still powerful. He is still answering prayers, and he calls you his own. Bank on those promises. Trust him. See what he will do. Father, I pray for every person listening right now. That is for you today. I pray that they will fight for clear thoughts, that they won't let these negative things bombard them anymore. Maybe for some people they need to turn off all news, all social media and everything and just start diving into what you are up to. All the, all the news and social media isn't going to help us in any way, shape, or form be prepared for what's happening in this world. God, you are our source. You are the one who makes promises that we can take to the bank. And so, Father, I pray your peace would surround your people today. You fill them. You remind them that you are on the throne, that you are doing good things, and that you are with them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Nexus Church Family Online, for joining us again today. And I encourage you, if you have any questions or concerns or need prayer, please contact us at nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. We'd love to connect with you there. Or you can instant message us on Facebook or on Instagram. Whatever works for you. We want to stay in touch. And we'll see you again real soon.